Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So tell us, how did you come up with the name She-Hulk? Oh, funny story. I didn't. Um, some random guy on the news came up with it after thinking about it for like two seconds, but uh, it stuck. Uh, so now whether I like it or not, I am forever She-Hulk. Great. We have to take a break. When we come back, She-Hulk shares her diet and exercise secrets. I'm sorry. What? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen. I'm Sinhan Tadlaka. Welcome to the podcast. Today on this show, we're going to be discussing She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Season 1, Episode 3, The People versus Emil Blonsky. She-Hulk, of course, streaming right now on Disney+. Plus. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. And you can always email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Before we get to our conversation about She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, though, we like to open every episode where we're covering... Uh, She-Hulk, with a broader or different or more general topic that will help to illuminate the character of Hulk and or She-Hulk in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This week, we're trying something different. Uh, We are talking about a comic book run by John Byrne called uh, Sensational She-Hulk Volume 1, which I'll link to in the show notes, and you can find for a few bucks on Amazon. Uh, But Siddhanta and I both read this run of comics, and I thought it'd be fun to talk about in advance of talking about this episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Sidon, this is a character you've been familiar with on uh, the comics for quite a while, and Mm -hmm. obviously one that's really resonated with you. What is it about She-Hulk in the comics uh, that is something that you find interesting? This might sound incredibly reductive, but in a word, she's fun. But it's the ways in which that she's, you know, it's the ways that she's fun that really appealed to me. It's uh, it's this thing where, like, especially in the Sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne, who wrote and um, also was the artist for it, she's this, you know, very, very fourth-wall-breaking character, but not in, like, a Deadpool way where it's just, like, pop culture references. Um, this comic does it in a way that I, as a longtime comic reader, really enjoy. And uh, you, if you're listening and have any familiarity with the works of Grant Morrison... Uh, you might also enjoy it. All the fourth wall breaking stuff centers the relationship between the reader and the character and the reader in the comic book universe in some very interesting and tongue in cheek ways. But apart from that, just as a character, uh, this is one specific run where I think she comes into her own as, you know, a separate character from the Hulk in both like, specific in-story ways and some meta ways as well. Um, You know, part of that differentiation is also, you know, kind of lampshaded a bit the same way it is in the show. Um, But yeah, she's, the the way she carries herself with, you know, the kind of confidence that she does and the kind of upbeat nature that she has. And I know like a lot of character voices in modern Marvel comics have kind of been flattened into that. 
Um, and it was something that had already, I guess, sort of begun in the 1980s. This comic is from 89, uh, to the point where they even comment on it in the comic. But this comic is the one that kind of opened the door to making She-Hulk her own character with like her own unique stories. And, you know, later on in some comics we'll discuss, it ended up being about like, you know, dating and body image issues and a lot of important stuff. But this one... Like, I think she's just a delight. And there were moments where I had to, like, stop reading when I was rereading just so I could sit there and, like, laugh at, like, specific panels by John by John Byrne and the way he had drawn them. So I think this comic, at least the first eight issues uh, that we reread for this, absolutely delightful. I had a great time reading this as well. And I guess uh, for those who uh, haven't read the comic or aren't going to, uh, but will still listen to this conversation, we should kind of explain some of the things that occur, right, in this mm-hmm. run of comics. I think the best way I could describe it is that during this run of comics, and it's eight issues, right, Siddhant, in volume one? Yeah, um, eight issues of the sensational She-Hulk, and then uh, the trade paperback also contains, like, an additional, like, preview episode, not episode, preview issue, which sort of introduces this new version of She-Hulk and advertises the comic you're about to read. So in this series of comics she faces off against a series of enemies some of these uh enemies uh their conflicts last multiple issues some of them last one issue um there's a group called the headmen mm-hmm. which is this bizarre group of scientists that have their heads grafted onto animal bodies um and at one point she faces off with like stilt man mm-hmm. um spider-man comes into assist at one point uh with her battle against the headmen uh and so she's she's kind of kind of facing off in like increasingly i would say out there cosmic wild adventures uh mm-hmm. as as time goes on are, are there any other like you know that's very vague in general but that's yeah. kind of how generally described anything major you think i'm missing in that description no i think you know the broad strokes of it are that there is this uh overarching group of villains running things behind the scenes but there is also a very weekly episodic feel to it which i i'm starting to think the show might start doing as well but we'll get to that in the show section of this episode um but yeah there's there's something immediately striking about uh john burns approach to the character just starting with like the cover of the first issue even if you haven't read it you may be familiar with the image of she hulk standing tall her hair is enormous and incredibly 80s um, with the words, the sensational She-Hulk written over her head. And she's holding in her hand her first ever comic appearance. And she is saying to the reader, okay, now this is your second chance. As if <laughs> to basically tell the reader like, hey, you, you want to see more of me? Buy this comic. So some very, very like direct conversations going on between She-Hulk and the reader, between She-Hulk and... um the writer and artist, John Byrne. And while that might seem more common in comics now, it really wasn't the case at the time. Um, You know, because Deadpool wouldn't even be invented until a few years after this. Um, I'm not saying Deadpool is a She-Hulk knockoff. Other people might be. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to stop anyone from saying that. Um, But before I uh, dig this hole any deeper... Uh no it's 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 a great run where She-Hulk goes on a whole lot of different adventures that are loosely connected and um 
But I would say largely independent of each other. Like yeah, they're, they're, yeah. It's very episodic, I would say. You know, it's very like each issue is its own story. Um, and the the characters vary wildly mm-hmm. uh, between issues, in my opinion. Like the set of characters in each issue vary wildly. Um, sometimes like the pace of a storytelling varies wildly within each issue. Uh, or I should say from issue to issue. I had a good time reading this and I think it's interesting to point out some of the differences uh, between She-Hulk in the comics and She-Hulk on the TV show. Mm -hmm. Uh, The biggest difference is that the She-Hulk in the comics is permanently She-Hulk. Like she doesn't transform back and forth to Jennifer Walters. Like at at this stage of her character, she is always She-Hulk, which is just kind of interesting to contemplate. And uh, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious, like, I guess there's advantages to having a version of that character that's not that way in the show, mm-hmm. uh, because then you can tell a more grounded story when She-Hulk is not, um, not uh, when she's just Jennifer Walters, right? And and yeah. actually, like, it's kind of an interesting conceit that her law firm requires her to be in She-Hulk form, because then otherwise, why would she be, right? You know, yeah. like, so I think like storytelling wise, that's kind of clever. Um Obviously, this is a version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe where, you know, she hangs out with Reed Richards and like the X-Men and or she knows about the has has had adventures with the X-Men and the Avengers. And so, like, those are all kind of characters that are in the mix that are regularly talked about and so on. But what I really loved about She-Hulk in the comic books and in the sensational She-Hulk volume one by John Byrne is how She-Hulk as a character plays with the form itself. Mm hmm. Uh, at many points in the comic book, she addresses the author of the comic book. Like she is talking with John Byrne directly and she's talking with the reader directly. Uh, and I just thought that that was, that was great. And it made me feel like, first of all, in episode three of She-Hulk that we saw and we're going to discuss today, uh, there's much more fourth wall breaking, I feel, in this episode mm-hmm. than like mm-hmm. in previous episodes. And it really does make me feel like episode one sticks out even more like a sore thumb, right? Yeah. Last week we talked about how episode one was theoretically uh, a later episode that was pulled forward. <laughs> and now I feel much more strongly about that. Like if, you know, last episode had been episode one and this episode had been episode two, it would have really helped to establish the kind of tone of the show uh, in a better way, I think. Um, but I-, I loved that uh, in the comic book, she's addressing the author of the comic book. Now, I don't think that you can do that on TV because most people don't know who, like most people reading the comic know who John Byrne is. Yeah. Most people who are watching She-Hulk, the TV show, don't know who Jessica Gao is, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, that should change, you know, yeah. because Jessica Gao is very talented. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a bummer to me that like we're kind of missing that from the show. Right? Yeah. Because uh, that's a very clever, fun fun thing to do i have yeah. a couple of other things to say but i'll pause there for a moment and see if you, you have any reaction yeah so uh the show this week more than in previous weeks does comment more on you know its own fictional nature and like its own structure and that's something that happens throughout uh some of the early she hulk not early she hulk comics this was almost a decade into her existence but the sensational she hulk it's something that happens throughout the sensational she hulk um but she also seems to interact with the structure of the comic in some very fun ways where you know if uh there's a time skip she's able to not just comment on it but partake in it by like sort of forcing 
um, a cutaway to something else because right. she she'll knows. Be like, she'll say something like, "I wonder who could have been responsible for this," and then typically in a comic book or a TV show, you'll cut to that person yeah. and she'll like comment on that phenomenon and say, "Like, hey, by the way, asking a question like that is a great way of." accelerating time in these yeah comments, you know like which is something and i love that kind of stuff yeah which is something i re- i remember you mentioned about the first episode where it's a sort of sly but not exactly direct commentary on the fact that they're talking about things that everyone in the story already knows just to catch the audience up to speed it's much more explicit in the comics um and but she she's aware of like you know comic tropes and structures and stuff to the point that she ends up like interacting like with the fabric of the comic itself in some fun ways and learning more about how to do that uh because um something this this series does is it brings back a lot of old and lapsed comic book characters um there's this one called the blonde phantom who uh she was made as this sort of like you know spy femme fatale type in like 46 or 47 when there was a slight downturn in comics post world war 2 so she wasn't like super popular um, and she is, uh, an older character who comes back to kind of guide She-Hulk, uh, in this series and become her mentor. But the reason she's doing this is specifically so that she can become a supporting character in the comics again to stop her from aging because she knows there's a concept called Marvel time or comic time where as long as you are being published in a comic book, you stay the same age. Because, you know, you look at Batman and Superman and they've been around for like 80 years, but they are still like, you know, theoretically in their 30s or 40s. Um, so she brings herself back uh, as a way to be a comic book character in the spotlight again. And not only that, she then teaches She-Hulk new ways of interacting with the comic that she's in, like literally moving between panels and pages and then at one point you know she hulk like rips through the pages themselves and like goes between them and you know goes to like the back of the issue where there's just text and no pictures and this all happens in this issue that is about um about comics versus television where she and a couple of other characters you know get stuck in all these tv realms that parody the Flintstones and the Jetsons and um so they end up interacting with um yeah all these like fictional Hanna-Barbera characters or versions of them while they are they're both in a tv world within the story but that tv world exists within a comic world and she takes advantage of that so at one point she's like flipping between channels and realities by going through comic book pages and it's it's one of the most fun and inventive things I've ever seen a comic do. I agree. Uh, that character that you're referring to, Blonde Phantom, a.k.a. Yeah. Louise Grant, a.k.a. Wheezy in the comic, yeah. uh, that was a very powerful section of the comic because basically that character used to be Blonde Phantom like a superhero, but now she's a secretary for someone. Yes. And... In the comic book that we read, she describes how she and her husband used to be like superheroes and it was a great time. But then like they stopped appearing in comics and as a result, they started aging. Yeah. 
And she's like, I always hope we would go back into the comics because as long as you're in the comics, you don't age or, or you go back to the age that you were when you were in the comics. Mm-hmm. But he never came back. Yeah. And so she, he basically dies as a result of not appearing in comics. And she gets older and she manages to land the secretary job. And she's like, well, at least I'm a secondary character, which is better than the alternative of like Annihilation, yeah. which I, I thought was a very kind of poignant way of looking at these characters the other thing that was really interesting about that she's she's like a side character in this run of comics um, yeah. she's not like one of the major characters but she but made she, the biggest impression on me because yeah and she does that, appear she does appear throughout the rest of the series as well the series runs about 50 something issues and she's throughout she's there throughout all of it the other thing is that what was cool about her as a character is uh she is able to also comment on this stuff, like make the meta commentary along with She-Hulk. Yeah. So that was interesting too. The, the idea of having two characters who are talking to each other about um, this meta element. Something actually very similar occurs in Fleabag season two, okay. which I'd strongly recommend you watch uh, if you, when, when, once you get the chance. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I, had ne- I had never, I don't think I've seen that really happen before. It's it's happened on occasion, but it mm-hmm. it feels very weird when one of the characters comments uh, to the reader is like addressing the reader, and then all of a sudden another character addresses the reader, and it's like whoa, uh, yeah, mind blowing that that there's two characters addressing the reader, and then she like She Hulk is very disoriented by this. She's like, yeah. wait, why? How are you able to talk to the reader? Like, um, so I I loved all that, and it, it made me feel like uh, She Hulk the Disney Plus series is really missing out on a lot of opportunities to, to comment, make fun of, push the form of television Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and kind of, and and we saw a little bit of that this week. You know, we saw a little bit of that, a little bit of that commentary this week, but like compared to what we see in the comics, yeah, it's very, very little. So, uh, but yeah, I I really enjoyed this uh, set of comics and, and, uh, and the character of She-Hulk and the art is great. You know, it's beautiful. It's big. Um, the, the other thing that struck me about reading it is just how wacky and out there, you know, Marvel comics used to be and still are right. But Mm -hmm. just that, like what a monumental task it was to take those comics and kind of make them palatable for a wide movie going audience. Yeah. Cause it's so there's like sci-fi stuff. There's heads grafted onto animal bodies. There's an abominable snowman. You're there's space cafes here, you know, like there's all kinds of stuff going on in this run. And it's just like, it takes talent. I think to read something like this and isolate the components that are going to be most interesting and most grounded for a mass audience. And it it did leave me very impressed with what Marvel has been able to accomplish. Although okay. I will say, I will say that I would have liked to have seen, you know, some of these wacky out there elements uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like you mentioned, the abominable slow man. Slow man. Wow. I am a slow man today. Snowman. Um, uh, whose name is Zimnu, and he has no mouth. And his catchphrase, which he seems to like project on people psychically on every other page is, I am Zimnu. I have no mouth and I am mean. <laughs> But also, as far as like out there stuff goes, um, mildest of spoilers for people who haven't read it yet, She-Hulk gets decapitated in like the second episode, uh-huh. second excuse me, the second issue, um, and uh, she's fine. Like she's alive. She's talking to us, the audience. 
there's this great bit where she's trying to make jokes about it and just the way John Byrne draws her is just the most uh, the most amazing expressions because like her jokes don't really land and she knows it. Uh, but there's a lot of wacky stuff that happens. Um, and just something I like really appreciate is uh, like you said, the artwork, John Byrne's artwork where like he, he has such a fantastic use of form, whether it's a close up of She-Hulk's face with like, you know, minor differences from panel to panel or it's the way he draws her body and her movements and stuff like this. Like, especially the way he draws her, you don't really see in comics that much anymore. You know, another reason is because like women in a more muscular form, that sort of thing in fiction in the West was much more common in the 1980s than it is today, even though that's kind of who She-Hulk has always been. But the way he draws the details of the way she moves and her poses and stances, it's it there's an expertness to it that I really appreciate. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the comic looks great. Uh, it's beautiful and it's really well done. So uh, uh, agreed on that front. I, I do think that we have started to get hints of how out there the Marvel Cinematic Universe can be. You know, I remember when Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 came out. That was a huge deal because it really opened up the whole universe uh, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe on screen to like all you know mm-hmm. aliens and all these other creatures that like we really hadn't seen in that way before, um, and so I think it's it's getting there. You know, it's it's on the path to that, but clearly that path is already fully formed when you're reading this comic book. Yeah, so. that actually reminds me. Uh, another element that runs throughout the comic is it's not just conversations between She Hulk and the reader. It's not just conversations between She Hulk and the writer and artist. There, are, There's also another layer of conversations happening between John Byrne and the editor at Marvel. Mm, where yeah, like yeah, you see it, them getting kind of like post-it notes on the screen. Yeah, uh, on yeah. That page. In, right. in like, so there's like live feedback uh, because <laughs> Marvel wants things to be more cosmic. He wants them to be simple and more grounded. So how cosmic yeah. something is changes from page to page. And um, it's it's it breaks the fourth wall in a way that film stuff and TV stuff very rarely does. I would agree. Uh, the only other thing I want to mention about this run of comics, and then we can get to the episode, is yeah. uh, there is a somewhat running theme of uh, She-Hulk's body being an object of um, uh, desire. I don't mean in like sexually terms. Mm-hmm. I mean like people want to harness her body and its power. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we got a little bit of a hint of that in this episode of the uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law as well. Um, but there's a there's a one of the subplots deals with like them wanting to kidnap her so they can harness her body. And it's, it's actually a quote unquote a, a, a head fake pun intended, so mm-hmm. to speak, where you think that she is being decapitated. But in fact, uh, they are just cloning her body uh, and uh using the clone body for another person basically but you mm-hmm. at first you think like oh they cut off her head and are preserving it but no she's just still alive mm-hmm. um and so uh, uh so i do think it's important to point out that that's a theme as well so any other thoughts it on i thought it was a a fun comic run and again it's sensational she hulk volume one by john byrne we'll link to it in the show notes but uh, had a great time checking it out 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, Sanat Adlaka, uh, let's talk about She-Hulk Attorney at Law, Episode 3, The People vs. Emil Blonsky. I'm David Chen. You're listening to Decoding TV. Uh, let's talk about overall thoughts on this episode, Sanat. What do you think? Of episode three of She-Hulk. I'm in two minds because on one hand, I think it strikes the perfect tone and it is so funny, this episode, so much funnier than the last two. There were moments where I was guffawing out loud, but every time She-Hulk is on screen, like Jen Walters in She-Hulk form, like I physically recoil, like there's just, it. this, this episode more than the others made me feel like, ah, oh, this this show should not have come out in August of 2022. They needed and, more time. And you are commenting on the CG. You're not yes. commenting on just the idea of no, She-Hulk. no, no, no. Yeah, this, the let's CG, just be clear. It's, it's so the CG is rough. I, I will agree with you that some of the earlier shots of CG are very rough. It does look like she is superimposed on the environment, and it doesn't look like an actual person slash creature is there. Which is Along weird because they actors. have they have a reference actress on set who's like six five, so it's not like there's nothing for them to work off. Yeah, uh, but I, I would agree it's a it's an enjoyable episode, and it's kind of uh, f- watching the show find its footing. I think is what we're doing right now, yeah. and uh, this is the first I think Marvel show that's basically a half hour lawyer comedy, mm-hmm. and so. I feel like this is probably as close to what we are going to get in terms of the formula of the show. Yeah. Uh, And in terms of establishing that template, I think this episode does a pretty good job. Um, And there's a lot of funny moments uh, to the show. And specifically, Tim Roth is great and very Mm -hmm. charming as Emil Blonsky. Like, love him. Uh, Love seeing Wong. Uh, I mean, if there's anything that I am uh, kind of wondering about it's it's that what we've seen marvel do over time is take characters that previously might have had a harder edge to them mm-hmm. like emil blonsky or thor and kind of like soften those edges and make them kind of more comedic relief uh i, I don't really have an issue with this in principle i just think it's worth pointing out because uh my understanding is like pr- stuff like this probably happens in the comic books uh, yeah. on some occasion as well right like yeah. you'll read one run by one author and then there'll be another run by another author and like the personality might be a little bit different and it feels like that's kind of what we're seeing here like emil blonsky uh 
also to be fair has a lot of time has passed since the incredible hulk so like he could have changed as a person but definitely a lot more chill than the emil blonsky we saw in the incredible hulk with edward mm-hmm. norton so definitely um so there's basically only two plots that happen in this episode, right? There is uh, Jen Walters trying to figure out what exactly happened with Emil Blonsky uh, getting broken out of prison. Uh, and they quickly identify that like Wong is responsible. So they try to get in touch with Wong. Yeah. Uh, and there's a few funny moments with Wong. Like they look up Wong's LinkedIn page. I don't know if you saw <laughs> the LinkedIn did. page. Yeah. But uh, he has on his employment history... Uh, the, the most recent job, Sorcerer Supreme, uh, which is what he's doing now in New York, librarian for Kamrataj Nepal, uh, full time for eleven years, and then Target sales associate, Kamrataj uh, Nepal, full time for nine years. I missed so, that one. Wow. Yeah. So that is actually a huge uh, achievement if you think about it to go from Target sales associate to uh sorcerer supreme within the yeah. course of basically like 12 years you know interesting career trajectory interesting yeah. that uh in the mcu uh target is opened in nepal because i don't think <laughs> there are any targets in south asia mm-hmm. i would have to double check on that but that's an interesting mm-hmm. detail that i missed yeah, yeah 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 well i mean so much is different you know in the mcu right yeah a there's sorcerer supremes B, there's Target in Nepal. I know. So, those like, are the two biggest revelations. Those are the two biggest yeah. differences, right? There's nothing, there's no other differences. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, they get Wong and he explains that he needed to use Emil Blonsky in order to prove himself worthy of being the Sorcerer Supreme. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, to I engage- need to interrupt for a second. Please. I know we have to do this episode rundown. I know we do, but I just have to get this off my chest. Please. You know, we as media people, we have a responsibility to our listeners. And last week I said something that I need to go back on. Mm-hmm, and we'll mm-hmm. get back on track in a second, I promise. Sure, sure. I said that uh, I miss the experience of eating Cheetos with my hands because there's something nice about the messiness to it. But after last week's episode, I just sat down on my couch and just zoned out and ate Cheetos with chopsticks for like half an hour afterwards. I'm sorry. I've been thinking about that the whole time we've been talking and I needed to like just put that out there and be like, all right, it it works. Now that it's out there, let's get back to the episode. Well, you know, we also did get some recommendations for this thing called Snackdiv finger chopsticks. Have you heard about this? I have actually. The ones that go like in between your... Um, yes, this is like a shark, tank, a shark tank right. uh, entry. And people told us about Snackdiv, which are chopsticks that attach to your fingers. Uh I've never used them before because I can use regular chopsticks, but um, I don't know. It feels it feels like I would need to learn a new skill to learn how to use Snacktive. Yeah, it seems like a lot of work. But I've anyway. I've seen this YouTuber I follow, Drew Gooden, who keeps checking out um, all of these strange products that are recommended to him on Amazon and Facebook, and he tried this out once, and it seems to work for foods of a very specific size, like Cheetos. Like he'll be like you know, playing video games or something, and he'll, you know, use that to pick up his snack, and then his hands won't get dirty. So I guess it maybe it's perfect for gamers. I don't know. Indeed. Well, a lot of options if you want to eat Cheetos uh, without the finger dust. Also, somebody pointed out to me that generally you're only supposed to use the chopsticks on flaming hot Cheetos because regular I, Cheetos, but, but it's like, 
regular Cheetos have cheese dust as well. I just put that out there. You know? Yeah. And also, like, the thing that this is based on, like, the, it happens in the show with regular Cheetos and the picture that it's based on with Oscar Isaac, presumably based on, it's, again, it's regular Cheetos. It's regular Cheetos, yeah. I did I did Google this and, like, it showed up on knowyourmeme.com. So it's apparently a thing where, I don't know, maybe it's still, like, because too many people were, like, eating flaming hot Cheetos with their hands and then rubbing their eyes or something. I have no idea. All right, back on track. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they get Wong and they get like Wong to agree to testify on behalf of Emil Blonsky. Uh, And then there is a, there's kind of these news segments that occur throughout the episode Mm. that show, oh, uh, She-Hulk is becoming a big deal. She-Hulk is defending Emil Blonsky. Like, um, to be honest, to some degree, it feels like they filmed all these news segments separately, right? Uh, and then decided in post like when to put them in to punctuate the the episode. Like they feel kind of disconnected from the main plot. Yeah. Um, but there is I mean, yes, they reference events from the main plot, but they're kind of like um, I, I don't know that they necessarily move the story along that much. But it is notable that uh, they are Marvel with this montage that happens midway through the episode is taking aim at all the. Uh, Marvel, mostly male Marvel fanboys that uh, for some reason strongly oppose the existence of a character like She-Hulk in the MCU. Uh, yeah. And it was a very spot on, I thought, uh, trenchant commentary on the fact that there's a lot of people who have problems with, uh, with a character like She-Hulk. Yeah. I feel like, you know, people are going to get mad about it either way, so may as well lean into it. Um, but yeah, as far as the the general thing structurally of using um, news anchors and news segments to constantly move the story forward, I think it works in moderation. Um, I think this episode maybe relies on it a little too much. Like you said, it, it feels kind of like they filmed all of these segments and they're like, all right, where can we use it to like create connective tissue? Right, exactly. Um, yeah, it reminds me of so in in high school we we had um, every August we would have like a house dramatics competition. And by houses, I mean like, you know how in Harry Potter you have houses. For American listeners, that's a real thing that exists in the real world. And so my my school had four houses and we would each put on, you know, uh, like a 20-minute play. And uh, there was one year where I think all four houses, all of us, we we used news reporters to kind of advance the story when we didn't know how to move from point A to point B. So again, it's the kind of thing that a 15-year-old would come up with to be like, how do we how do we inform people of things but also move things forward? So that's just wow. my connection to it, I guess. High praise. Yeah. High praise for the news segments. <laughs> I do think that if you reflect on where Marvel fandom and online fandom in general has gone over the course of the last five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly there's a lot of wonderful elements to it. People celebrating their love of things, um, people joining in community with others who are interested in the same things. Yeah. But there's obviously also this like o- other very ugly side of it. Yeah. And I think that's what the show is obviously pointing to. Yeah. And I've been reflecting on it a lot because it's this, kind of politics of grievance basically right Mm. this politics of uh this other group of people or this other category of people or you know someone who doesn't look like you can't have something 
without something being taken away from you. That's yeah. kind of yeah. the core of the idea, right? And it's complete nonsense. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I feel like the episode does a really good job of tapping into that idea just with that montage. Uh, and, it, and like, um, I think it takes some amount of skill to nail what internet speak is like, to nail what it's like, uh, how people talk about the uh, things on the internet and how things go viral and what conversations like. And I think, you know, from what we see, the episode does a pretty good job of it. Yeah. I'd um, say it's, it's more of a nice little reference than it is anything of like actual consequence. But the fact that it, it, you know, it is a reference to a very real phenomenon is a little disquieting uh, because like you said, the politics of grievance, it's something that um, I'm sort of, exposed to on on like a weekly or daily basis because you know i write about movies and i get like the strangest complaints about things that i write like if i if i don't like something for some for like a very uh, understandable reason that i state very clearly like in my review like oh you know i thought you know it was for example it was boring i didn't like the way you know it was put together and then inevitably i'll get emails and comments being like Oh, I bet you didn't like it because it wasn't woke enough. It's like that. That you, 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 and I live in such different worlds. Like I don't understand what you think you mean by that. Mm-hmm. At the same mm-hmm. time, part of me does understand in a roundabout way where it, where some of it comes from. Because yeah, you know, a lot of you know corporations, whether it's Marvel or what have you, will try and speak the language of progressiveness and will try and pay lip service to it. Uh, but there, you know, there's there's a difference between just having it be lip service and you know actually trying to tell a story with it. And I don't think I think she helped maybe fall somewhere in between. Uh, but you know, at the same time, if it's something you really object to, just you know, just forget about it. It's like ah, that doesn't work. Move on with your life. Don't don't get mad at random people who have nothing to do with the thing that you think you're mad at. Um, but yes, yeah, so so that reference, even though it was a fleeting one, it did kind of uh, resonate with me a little more than I realized. I think I just realized it fully when I was. Speaking <laughs> you just realized just now. it here yeah. on this podcast as like, we're talking oh, about thinking it. back yeah. to thinking back to goddamn comments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think that uh, what I think the you know you you described it as a passing mention, but I think what the episode does a good job of is revealing how ridiculous it is. Right? Yeah. It's like. Why? Why are these people have any objection? It's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense, you know, in the context of the show. Yeah, uh, it doesn't make any sense, and and doesn't make any sense in the context of reality as well. So, yeah, uh, it's another thing that the Harley Quinn show has also done a few times. I would say uh, in in much funnier ways, but right. Um, yeah, I don't want to be accused of pitting two you know fictional superhero women against each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in this episode, we also find out that. Uh, Dennis Bukowski, who is Jennifer Walters' past colleague at the DA's office, uh, has been defrauded by somebody who he believes is Megan the Stallion, but is in fact a uh, Asgardian light elf, uh, shape shifting light elf from New <sighs> Asgard. I was I was thrilled with this whole subplot. I thought it it moved, it worked, everything about it was funny. Everything was caricatured, but like very on point. And then, as Jen points out at one point. Um, oh, the A plot and B plot are coming together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's the kind of, this, you know, it's a very brief mention. 
Uh, but that's kind of the stuff that we were talking about in our podcast about mm-hmm. uh, sensational She-Hulk, uh, the volume one run of comics by John Byrne and yeah. how uh, in the comics she would often play with the form. And like, this is the closest she's played with the form. Some people might not even fami- be familiar with the terms A plot and B plot, right? Yeah. Um, but now they're learning about it and, uh, and learning about it in a, a fairly amusing way. Mm-hmm. So anyway, what happens with Wong is... Uh, th- there's a fun reference to Spider-Man No Way Home because he's like erasing everyone's memories. Bad idea. Uh, and then he testifies at Emil Blonsky's parole hearing. Um, I I, uh, I don't know how I felt about the seven soulmates being there physically. It's a fun visual gag, but I really just loved the idea when Emil Blonsky brought it up last episode. Mm-hmm. He's like, I have seven soulmates and we're going to share a, par- a parcel of land. Uh, and it's like, wow, like I'm having a lot of fun, like imagining who these people uh-huh. are. They're not all women in my mind, by the way. Um, mm, okay. And, uh, and then just, to, but to see them there is kind of like, okay, well now like it removes a little bit of the magic. Oh, well, uh, but, it wasn't woke enough for you. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Um, but Tim Roth is just so charming mm-hmm. in this role. Like he's so funny and uh, like, he's like, these are my better eighths. Like yeah. that was just great lines. <laughs> I like, like that. Uh, part of his transformation is now the fact that he just zones out sometimes in the middle of conversations. Like, um, I don't know, it's it's like a small little detail that, you know, he seems to like zone out and then snap back into a conversation. I really like that. We learn that in prison, Emil Blonsky has become a whole different person. He's super reformed. He's mm-hmm. like helped out everyone. He's like a model citizen. Uh, and then, of course, Wong testifies that he needed to train with... Uh, the abomination in kumite. Uh, kumite is basically a form of sparring, right? And it's mm-hmm. kind of what we see in Shang Chi. It's uh, you know s- simulated fight, basically, and uh, uh, and that's why he needed his help. So yeah, when when I used to, I I've studied karate in school, and every time we would spar, we would yell kumite. So the parole board agrees that abomination is able to be released if he never becomes abomination again he stays uh mm-hmm. emil blonsky and he has to wear an inhibitor uh a cu- couple of things to point out first of all it, you know curious how the technology works because in the first episode bruce banner is like i i only have a prototype but i guess yeah. they have something closer to that uh in the sensational Hall comic that we recently read there is this thing called a neural neutralizer or something that uh, She-Hulk is put into that prevents her from moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so it re- did remind me of that. But anyway, uh, the other thing to note is Emil Blonsky apparently better at controlling his abomination self than Bruce Banner ever was because Bruce Banner still needs the help of the device to yeah. stay his human self. I so, think, you know, because to be fair, you know, Bruce Banner has been dealing with a couple of like, you know, uh, universal saving level threats. half of the universe. Yeah. You know? he's, he's, he's had a lot of stress. Yeah. He's, right? Whereas Emil Blonsky has been able to meditate a little I bit know. more probably, you know, yeah. not so. to say that prisons work. This is just in a fictional context. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to, you know, see that he's able to transform on command. Well, C is stretching it. They don't, they show us barely any of it because um again like you just have to assume that during any like cgo action heavy bit in this show things will be like cut around a whole lot um so yeah we don't actually see too much of the transformation 
Yeah, and uh, uh, speaking of that, you know, there is a fight scene at the end with these Asgardian construction tools uh, and and She-Hulk. And I have to say, like, most of the fight scenes in this show have been pretty rough. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's by design. Like, I don't know if they're supposed to be this rough. Like, um, I think if you wanted them to be this rough, the show would need to be much more campy. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, Adam West Batman style, yeah. which it's not. And so it kind of just feels like a lot of the elements of the show, it does feel like they've ran out of time and money. Uh, the CG for She-Hulk, you know, and that kind of stuff. So the fight scene, not great, uh, yeah. I would say, at the end of the episode. But it does hint that there is a broader plot to somehow make use of She-Hulk's blood, which is obviously something that's very important for both She-Hulk and Bruce Banner. Like they don't want that blood to get out into the open. Um, yeah so. so there is a you know some kind of big boss working behind the scenes and using these apparent you know teenagers or young adults with who, who've stolen Asgardian construction equipment interestingly one of them is referred to as thunderball who's again a real character in the comics but in the comics he's black he seems to be a white dude in this but you know at the same time it's so minor a character that like you know fine whatever um but i guess on the other hand um there's also another character who's briefly introduced for like two seconds in um, the the law offices that Jen Walters is working at. Uh, the character Mallory Book, who's white in the comics, but played by Renee Elise Goldsberry from Hamilton. She's one of the, the Skylar sisters. I was very weirded out by the fact that she just, she literally just shows up, delivers one line, and then leaves. I'm like, wait, she's, she's a, it's like with what they did with Ariana DeBose and Westworld. It's like, do you know the kind of talent you have on your hands here? Show. To be fair, to be fair, I think Renee Elise Goldsberry is probably going to come back in this episode. Yeah, I know, show, you know. I know. I was just saying that it's funny that she like kind of just also through a door pretty much. Also, Siddhanth, you have to watch Girls 5 Eva on uh-huh. uh, Peacock. Is she uh, in that? In which she's in it and she's awesome in it. So okay. like, uh, and it's, it, it makes full use of all of her skills. So okay. we, we strongly recommend and- I have been wondering who is going to be the first Hamilton cast member to show up in the MCU. And I think we have our answer. I think she's the first. Mm -hmm. Isn't she? Uh, I can't vouch for that. Um, But yeah, Uh, she's definitely one of the first. Yeah, yeah. Um, So the other thing I want to say about it is, uh, oh, I'm I'm looking up right now. Anthony Ramos was is going to be an Ironheart. Oh, he's right? going to be. Okay, so going to be yeah, yeah, one yeah. more eventually, and yeah. I'm sure you know Lin Manuel Miranda will show up somewhere, you know, smiling and yes. crying and singing. He probably a song. wrote. He probably wrote all the music for some upcoming thing for you know Disney Plus. So, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, we see Renee Elise Goldsberry for one second, and this kind of goes towards something about the show that. I think it's becoming very obvious three episodes in, which is, it is very weird. The release schedule for She-Hulk attorney at law. I'm just putting that, this out there. Yeah. That they're releasing it week by week. Like they're dropping three episodes of Andor on opening day. Yeah. And they're doing, they, they, they didn't even put the first two episodes of She-Hulk attorney at law at once, which I think it would have enormously benefited the show if they'd put out like two episodes at once. Yeah, because um, didn't they introduce who I thought was going to be like the main villain of the show, Titania, in the first episode? She's not right. in the second or in the third. 
And then you really, you know, you have Renee Elise Goldsberry in for like three seconds in this episode. It's just like, it just feels weird because yeah. it's like, if they had released two episodes, you know, maybe one of these characters is going to be in the next episode as well. And then it kind of makes more sense. Mm-hmm. But instead, it feels very odd. Like these characters like show up for a blip and then they're gone. Yeah. Um. So it's a weird release schedule. You know, like, yeah. another way to approach it could have been like releasing two episodes at once. Like this is not a mm-hmm. uncommon thing for some shows to do. But to stretch out nine half-hour episodes over the course of nine weeks, I do think we're starting to feel a little bit of of that stretch right now. But with nine episodes releasing over nine weeks, you get people to subscribe for that third month. Uh, That's true. That's true. Forget about Andor. Yeah, um, you gotta you gotta use <laughs> gotta get them you know on that leftover week. Yeah. There, so, but I'm I'm willing to forgive all this weird nonsense because of uh, certain lines that just had me like roaring with laughter, like when uh, that light elf disguises herself as Bug the lawyer walks out of the walks out into the hallway and says, "I love harassing women in the workplace. It's my kick, baby." <laughs> like I was on the floor. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. The light off stuff was pretty funny. Yeah. So, any other thoughts about that plot line, Sidon? Before we wrap up, no. It was it was amusing, and it was you know one of those light and inoffensive things where I thought like, all right, yeah, you know, more of this. And I like how it informed the a plot in some small ways, and vice versa. Um, I I almost don't want there to be you know some other big bad. I want it to be like you know the, these small little you know, lawyer side stories. Uh, I know it's not going to be that for very long, but um, I'm enjoying the fact that it is a half hour comedy and not just in terms of, not just in terms of time, but in terms of what that means just tonally, like where the purpose is to, you know, have all these different plot lines uh, to set them up and have them converge and do it in a fun way. Um, and that's what I wanted to keep being, but we'll see. Couple of other things about the ending. Uh, final shot of the episode: uh, Jen Walters looking into a car door reflection as She-Hulk. C- kind of a weird <sighs> shot to end on, but I think what's being implied there is she's reflecting on the fact that she is now, uh, like she cannot separate herself from the She-Hulk persona. Like, yeah, she's can, letting go of her past life. I can know, sort of it, intellectualize that, but yes. again, when she's in that form, she's not like that being because of the CG is not allowed to emote. Like, mm-hmm. if you could, well, have... it's weird because you you in order to have that moment, you need to see what is going on in the character's face, but it's purposely done in a way that you can't see it. Yeah, clearly. and I don't know that it would have helped if it was just a shot of her either, because while Tatiana Maslany, the actress, could yeah. have made a meal out of that moment, right? because we've seen her work on Orphan Black, we know what she's capable of, um, just when it is this like half-rendered you know, version of her that looks like it's a like a concept thing like it's just uh they they accidentally put like the concept art in selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Instead of, you know, the actual character. And again, we have to state, this is not on the CG artists themselves. We know what's going on in the VFX industry with the way that companies like Marvel tend to ride them and not give them enough time and money to do all this. All those caveats aside, like it just feels so unfinished. And like that coming back to what I said in the beginning, like I feel as if like this show should not have been put out right now, but you know, it Marvel needs to meet its marks to like, you know, meet those release dates to like, uh, satisfy shareholders and whatnot and like it, it that part of the reality just becomes so inescapable when you see something that just so horrendously ugly on screen i'm sorry but tell me how you really feel about it Zanath. i can't i can't quite discern ha, ha, um, ha, ha. anyway uh i don't like she hulk is woke <laughs> there's an end credit sequence where uh she she hulk's actual client becomes megan the stallion mm-hmm. and uh or her you know, megan the stallion becomes an actual client and uh, and they twerk together and it's yeah fun. i thought it was great and this apparently happened because uh or maybe it was a coincidence i don't know but tatiana maslany is apparently a huge megan the stallion fan and so i really like that interaction and i like that the episode ends on body uh, i thought the main episode would end on that song i was disappointed when i didn't when it didn't uh, mm-hmm. But then I saw this post-credit scene, and then I started playing, and I was like, "All right, now that makes sense." Yeah. Also, right. oh. also, real quick, real quick, Megan Thee Stallion being her client in the Superhuman Law Division does that imply that Megan Thee Stallion like has superpowers in this universe? Mm. Is that what's it's a good question? It's a good question. <laughs> like, why else? Maybe the Superhuman Law Division is for people who are superhumans and also whose lives have been impacted by superhumans. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Identity theft. Okay. Yes. There you go. There you mm-hmm. go. All right. Overall, fun episode of She-Hulk, uh, Attorney at Law. That's episode three, The People versus Emil Blonsky. Uh, you are watching or listening to Decoding TV. Uh, he is Sedanta Vlaka. I'm David Chen. Next week, we're going to be discussing episode four. We're also going to be covering uh, Ong Lee's Hulk movie Woo-hoo. as our main topic. And if you want to hear us talk about that, uh, keep it subscribed to Decoding TV at podcast.decodingtv.com. Thanks so much for watching and or listening. We'll see you next week.